Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host Honey Badger 35 Coming up on this week's episode, we'll recap the Eagles' last gasp victory against Hawthorne, talk waffle and injuries, plus we will turn our attention to the all-important Derby number 50. Joining us this week on the pod once again, please welcome Miguel Sanchez. How are you? I'm good. Uh, now, I've had a uh, what my doctors described as a minor cardiac episode uh, on early Saturday afternoon, but uh, yeah, bounced back and I'm fine now. Do you own a Fitbit or an Apple Watch or any similar device? Uh, no, but I now own a defibrillator. <laughs> Very good. Fair enough. Uh, also joining us once more is Keys. Fantastic win on the weekend. After all of that, how are you holding up? Yeah, good. Yeah, we're doing some research, as we were talking about before going on to air, but as also we talked about, that will remain unmentioned. But <laughs> people can push the uh, Dane Swan podcast if they want to uh, get up to date. In no way endorsing the Dane Swan podcast, but certainly has been in the news. Hopefully this podcast will be newsworthy for much better reasons. As I said, look, there was a good win from the Eagles on the weekend and let's dive straight into it. West Coast Eagles 11-11-77 defeated Hawthorne 9-17-71. Historically, a bit of a hoodoo fixture. The Eagles, you know, up against Hawthorne at the MCG, not something we've got fond memories of. But they did get the job done in the end. It was a little bit of a stop me if you've heard this one before sort of game for a while. The Eagles looked good on the road until the home team really turned the screws in one quarter. Third quarter was a nightmare. And then come the fourth quarter, Miguel, it was the same old story. Luke Shuey on the road, just pulling through and basically gave us no choice but to win. Sealed off with a Crips game winner uh, and the Eagles stole a crucial victory away from home. They did. Um, yeah, it was uh, yeah going very much to script earlier. Uh, I, I think last week we all sort of um, sat here and recognised it was a danger game, but we thought we'd win. Uh, and yeah, for long periods of that second half, it didn't look like that was going to be the case. Um, it looked like we were sort of... We were coming from behind all the way through that third quarter and then you know, with the, the loss of the rotation when Hutchings went off at half time, and um, I think we had a few other guys who were pretty sore as well and um, and that Nui coming in off limited game time, it sort of felt like the Hawks would run over the top of us. But yeah, Shuey really did sort of put us on his back and, and carry us home. I think it's, um, I've heard others describe it as sort of the, the best game he's played since the grand final and I think that's probably right. Um, I've also seen Tim Gossage um, not have him in, his, in the best three Eagles players on the ground, and he got rightly pilloried for that. But, um, yeah, it was yeah, just a, a fantastic game by him and um, an awesome second half in particular. Darling as well, uh, you know, he, he's lowered his colours a bit uh, from time to time against Hawthorne, and, and yeah, he um, really stood up, uh, kicked three goals, I think, in the first quarter, but it was just a, a presence around the ground for most of the game, which was really important because Kennedy was being well held by Frawley. When I say well held, I mean really well held. He was probably was hanging off him at every opportunity. But yeah, um, great result, good win to get. Uh, Collingwood lost as well, and uh, and GWS lost. So um, really important win, just in, in terms of ladder position, but also yeah, good to bury that Hawks MCG hoodoo and add it to the list of hoodoos that we've buried in the last year and a half, and um, come into the Derby at least on a winning note. Um, but probably a little bit sore and sorry. Yeah, look, we will turn our attention to the Derby a little later on, but not the worst thing to have, you know, quite an impressive win leading up to it. Keys for you, did you keep the faith throughout or, you know, in that third quarter were you a little bit worried that maybe we'd let go of the rope and the Hawks were going to steamroll us at the end? I, I had the uh, benefit of watching a replay, knowing the result. But, yeah, certainly in that, that third quarter, things weren't looking good. I mean, it was very much shades of the Adelaide game where... You know, we sort of lost complete control of the game for a quarter and just couldn't get the ball out of our back half, which is something going forward we're going to 
the need to address. But I think outside of that, the other three quarters, I think we were the better side in each of those. You know, maybe only marginally in the first and last quarter, but I thought we were, you know, we were quite dominant in the third. Um, probably aided by some average goal kicking by Hawthorne. Yeah, you know, they missed a few that they would have liked to have kicked. But you know, that's that's part of the footy. I think we've been we've we've lost games where we've done similar. We've been inaccurate and it's cost us games. So you know, that's that's part of the footy. But it was good to see a different look. It was good to see Nick Nat back and and doing Nick Nat things, even though you know he's clearly a little underdone and and probably not not at the level that we hope he gets to. But he's he got through the game okay. He um he jumped and he went to ground and but gave a um a, a bit of a prelude to what we can expect from him as the season goes on because he he certainly was dominant in the centre square, um and that's only going to get that's only going to get better. Yeah, that was obviously the big story coming in was the return of Nat Nui, much anticipated. Lee Matthews has gone on the record since as saying that he thought he was, I forget if he said disappointing or subpar, I forget how, he, he can nick Nat's output anyway. But, and he was a mile off. Mile off, there you go. But I think uh, Eagles fans, and it certainly was a, a sentiment pretty well reflected on the board, Eagles fans will note just how much of a lift he gives the side and the midfield, you know, the midfielders really seem to thrive on it. There were a couple of those really vintage Nick Nat taps to advantage, but just in general, having Nick Nat around the contest is obviously just such a massive boon for the Eagles. Six disposals in the end, but three clearances, uh, 41 hitouts for Nick Nat. A couple of huge tackles, was pretty willing to throw his weight around in there as well. You compare that to Ben McAvoy, let's say, he had six disposals himself, five of which were clangers and only 35 hitouts. So, you know, limited minutes, 58% game time, I think, Miguel. But Nick Nat still dominated the ruck and really given us a lift around the contest. How did you think his return went? I thought it went well, yeah. I, I was wondering when Lee Matthews made the comments that he made because, yeah, I thought Nat Nui um, offered pretty much as much as we could have expected him to. Um, a little bit rusty with his you know, with his leaping and his touch. I don't think he took a mark, which Gary Lyon will probably have a problem with. And I you know, didn't offer a huge amount you know, when we had the ball, but um, that's never been his strength anyway. And yeah, um, the hitouts and you know, some of some of his work with Shuey in the middle, um, especially with Yo being tagged out of the game, just the combination of him and Shuey was um, was integral. I don't think. I don't think we win that game if um, you know, if we'd gone in with Hickey and Allen or Hickey and Vardy or any of the other combinations we've seen this year. So definitely um, a plus to get him in, and yeah, he'll only build on that from here. Yeah, I think the thing with Nick is he just he only has to stand out in the ground and he influences the game. He's just such a presence on the game. I think oppositions do things differently, and and our players certainly lift with him just being out there without him even getting a touch or anything like that. And it's it's something I think it's it's really hard to explain. And I think unless you're, if you're not an Eagle supporter and you don't watch him week in, week out, like, it's something that it's difficult to understand. And it's difficult, I think, to explain. But he just impacts games purely because he's there and around the ball. Yeah, and it's a point well made that if you're not watching the Eagles week to week and perhaps you don't see how they look with him and without him, you know, it's it's very obvious that Eagles fans back him up and go into bat for him when he's called overrated and these sorts of things, people are critiquing him in the media because his impact on our side can never be understated. Uh, He's probably the most valuable eagle that there is. And uh, given that he's now back and hopefully building into some fine late-season form, also given that he's just signed an extension, it's uh, it's happy days on the Nick Natanui front for the minute. Let's um, let's turn to his partner in crime. We, we talked about him a little bit off the top there, but Luke Shuey, come away with the perfect 10 coaches' votes. Uh, he's sitting ninth in the coaches' votes overall, so for the whole competition, he's so far had the ninth most coaches' votes with 54. Keys, the uh, competition for midfield spots is always at a premium, but is Shuey having an All-Australian sort of year, or is, is he, in fact, even leading the best and fairest for the Eagles? W- what do you make of Shuey's year so far, and is this the sort of statement game that could put him in the spotlight? Yeah, I, I think... He's having an all-Australian all calibre year. I mean, it's, it's really hard, I mean, in the sense that if you don't watch every game every weekend to get a gauge of what other players are doing. So I'm not, I'm never ever a big one for saying so-and-so should be in or should be out. But should we, if he's not getting discussed by the selectors, there's something wrong. He, he's, a, he's got to be in the conversation. I'd be pretty disappointed if he's not in the 40-man squad at a minimum. And then, look, the, the Australian midfield is a pretty competitive field to get into. 
So I think if you make the 40-man squad, they might make the 22. That's not necessarily a slight, but he's right up there. And, and I think the best and fairest is going to be really close. Yo's had some really good games. Hearn's played as, as well as ever. I think those those three, I think, would be leading our BNF if you if you stopped it now. Uh, Shep. Yeah, Shep, is a funny one. He, he He's had good years in the past, and he, his best and fairest results don't always reflect as well as he's played, I don't think. But you'd expect it, I, I think he'd probably he'd be top five, probably. But I think if you had it, I think one, two, and three would be Yo, Shuey, and Hearn, um, without knowing what order I'd have those in just at the minute. Well, while we're talking about placement in the Eagles BNF, uh, Miguel, I'll throw this one to you. Jamie Cripps, he's obviously kicked the game winner. It was a fantastic goal and another fantastic reaction at the MCG. A uh, good little clip there of him celebrating. But for me, I think he's probably been one of our more underrated and sort of low-key consistent players. The coaches seem to be asking a bit more of him this year in terms of covering the ground. It's not all about the goals. But he's kicked 19 goals. Uh, he obviously missed a few games off the top there. But for you, where do you think Cripps would be sitting in our best and fairest? Key's made the point that you know, Shepard doesn't his um, his votes don't often seem to reflect the sort of season he's had. Cripps is the other way. You sort of he's a dark horse. The coaches love him. I think he finished fourth or something last year, didn't he? And no one had him that high. But yeah, he's been um, he's had some fantastic games this year. Um, he had a good one, I think, when he first came back against Collingwood, and then he sort of I think the rust of the lack of a preseason set in a bit, but. Um, yeah, he's, he's putting together a really good run of form at the moment. So, yeah, he'd be shooting for another top 10 finish as well. Just apart from the goal he kicked, I thought he had a really good game as well. Got a fair bit of the ball. He kicked a, a couple of other goals maybe during the second quarter. Um, got on the end of a couple. But, yeah, he um, he's, he's one that the coaches seem to love and you know, just for his work rate. And, uh, yeah, another one of the unsung performers that we've got this year that, um, yeah, there seems to be a few of them. Yeah, I was going to. I was just thinking as you were saying that. I think the other guy who's not necessarily getting the plaudits that he might is um, is Ryan. And and for a guy that came into the side on the back of Mark of the Year contenders week in week out at Subiaco, he's really doing a lot of a lot of dirty work, tackling and pressuring and, and things like that. He's not he's not necessarily hitting the scoreboard, but he's become a really influential player around the ground and he's doing some really nice things. And if you're talking about someone who might be a uh, a dark horse in the best and fair, it's not probably top five, but top ten would, would be Ryan. I think he's doing a lot of stuff that the club internally would be really, really pleased with. Yeah, I've said it a few times before that when you watch games live at Optus, you can really see how much ground he's covering, uh, which is not something that we thought would be a part of his game when he was drafted and you know, his endurance was questioned. We've discussed that before, but he's really developed into quite a gut runner. On the weekend, or let's say prior to the weekend, I thought that Luke Shuey's fourth quarter against Adelaide was the best individual quarter that I'd seen. Well, come half time on the weekend, I said that Liam Ryan's second quarter was probably on par with that because the efforts that he was doing defensively, uh, he was hitting the scoreboard. He was making the team decision as well. You know, he chipped a couple over the top to Cripps, like Miguel just mentioned. He's come away with two goals, one of which was a goal of the week nominee. Uh, so he can still do the spectacular, but yeah, Liam Ryan, really fantastic, not just this week, but for the season. And that second quarter in particular, if you've got a replay saved, I'd go and watch it because it was it was really quite special. Look, let's move away from looking at them individually for now. Miguel, I'll start with you on this one, and then Keys, I'll throw to you. We've seen the Eagles this season have uh, quite the habit of playing two or three good or great quarters, a couple of really solid quarters, but there's there's that propensity to have a one-quarter fade-out. How much of a concern is that for you now that we're more or less back to full strength? Is this a feature of the Eagles' game long-term, or do you think this is something that they can stamp out, Miguel? I think it's a feature of, of footy at the moment long-term. Uh, there's not too many teams, I don't think there's any teams out there that are dominating games all the way through, um, and particularly with the, the new rules and the 6-6-6 rule. It's become a game of sort of momentum shifts, and it's just a matter of how you manage that when the momentum shifts the other way. Um, so that's what we need to address. You know, they, they didn't manage it at all well in the third quarter when momentum shifted to Hawthorne, and you know the back line held up for a little while and then sort of just collapsed under the, the weight of forward entries by Hawthorne. And you know the back line's probably been our best performing line of the season, but uh, you know they're missing McGovern back there. 
other than that, it was pretty full strength, wasn't it? Nelson, I thought, played a pretty good game. Yeah, but yeah, just that, that third quarter, I think collectively everyone dropped their heads, whether the game plan went out the window when Hutchings went off because Impey did get off the leash a bit in that quarter, having having lost the tag on him. Uh, he was he was pretty damaging, and a few of the other Hawks guys stepped up, Burgoyne and, and Co. But um, yeah, long longer term, I think you're going to have those periods during a game. You're not going to be able to dominate games for four quarters, particularly when we get to finals and and we're playing the Geelongs and Collingwoods and so on. So it's what they need to address, I think, is just how they hold up when the momentum does shift the other way. So, Keys, we talked earlier about perhaps some parallels between the Hawthorne game and the Adelaide away game a few weeks ago. Just in terms of the big momentum shifts, that Adelaide game, the, the second quarter, which was the poor quarter there, 5-6 to 1 behind, uh, so 11 scoring shots to 1. Now you look at the Hawthorne game uh, and that third quarter, 4-7-31 to 1 goal 6. So, again, 11 scoring shots to 1. Now, as uh, Miguel rightfully pointed out, teams aren't going to be able to dominate for a full game. But is the, the extent of these fade-outs, how serious a cause for concern is that? Or do you think that's something the team can sort of run back? It is cause for concern because you've got, to, you've got to address why it's happening and why we're taking basically a quarter for it to, to address it. But on, on the flip side of that is whatever is getting addressed at the, at the break is resolving the issue. So it's sort of glass half full of us half empty thing. It's, it's bad that yeah, that we're getting that blowout. But the good thing is that, is that Simpson and the rest of the coaches are finding a way to address it and, and wrestle back the ascendancy. So, but I think as Miguel touched on, it, it, it's sort of something in the competition. It, it's sort of, it's funny, you're not getting, don't seem to be getting games where a team just blows aside away for four quarters. I mean, you're not, like a blowout win this season is something in the order of seven or eight goals. You're not getting very many sort of, 10-plus goal defeats. And I think we... I don't know if we have... Have we had a 100-point victory by anybody yet? I'm not sure if we have. I think we've... I've got a sneaking suspicion there might have been one. But you, you're not getting those real games where a side just starts out and just dominates the whole game from... But you are what you are getting is you are getting a lot of dominant quarters in games. I mean, we've had some where we... You know, we've... That second quarter of Destin where we, we completely took the game apart... And uh, Fremantle kicked five goals to none against Carlton in the first quarter, and you know you're getting sides that are getting, you know, they're getting six, seven, eight goals to to none or one or two in a quarter, and then the game's sort of getting back on more even terms. So it's whether that's the six, 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 whether it's the runners or or quite why that is, I don't know. I'm sure clubs are looking at it. I'm sure sure our coaches are looking at the reasons for us having having bad quarters. But it might just be something that you have to deal with. And, and if you haven't got the momentum, it's a matter of just sort of sticking fat and just sort of holding up the fort for a while until your, your midfield can get back on top. I, w- I will just say the, the, the really good thing about the game against Hawthorne is, um, I mean, that was, I watched Alistair Clarkson's press conference and he's a bit of a prickly bugger at times. And But you could tell he was really disappointed with the loss because I think he thought he did, the side did a lot of things right. And I think, he really prepared his side well to play against us. And I think you'll look back on it and go, well, part of that third quarter was Clarkson making adjustments at the half time to get us off balance. And a lot of time on our board, we've had people criticise Simpson for maybe not being a particularly good match day coach and not making the adjustments. But he was able to do that against a guy who's pretty much universally recognised as the best coach in the league. You know, maybe he hasn't quite got the cattle to to throw around that he used to have. But, you know, that was a one of the reasons I was thinking it was a danger game was Clarkson's a very good coach. He's very good tactically. And we were, we were able to to beat Hawthorne in that scenario. And listening to the podcast, the Eagles won the coast-to-coast with Rich Schofield, and he was made the comment today, it, would, it felt like a final, a finals intensity type game. And it, to, particularly that last quarter when we were trying to, Will ourselves over the line, and, and Hawthorne were doing the same. So it was. It was a really big win. As much as you look at the ladder now and you say Hawthorne 15th, you think, well, we beat 15th. Well, what does it matter? But they they really did throw everything at us, and we were able to get over the line, which is really important. 
Moving along to the Waffle, it was another victory for the Beagles, a suddenly resurgent West Coast Beagles. They defeated South Fremantle 11-12-78 to 8-9-57. Uh, they were tested. Based off the Twitter account, it seems like South Frio really came late after the Beagles had opened up a bit of a gap in the early stages. But a couple of late goals did the trick and the Beagles run away winners. Now, gents, another almost direct time clash with the Beagles and Eagles games. So I don't believe that any of us actually got around to getting some vision of this game, but we'll, we'll judge things off the stats sheet. So the first name that jumps out at me, Josh Smith, 27 disposals and two goals. I thought he was actually all right the uh, the previous week as well. He's starting to string a couple of games together, so perhaps something to watch and maybe something we'll talk about when we get to the ins. I think he's put sort of back-to-back high 20s possessions and two goal games, which is really pleasing. Um, and, yeah, definitely putting the pressure on. Um, I suppose Maston would be the most obvious like-for-like change or, yeah, we'll, we'll get to changes. But, yeah, he's putting together um, a nice little run of form. Certainly putting his hand up. Another guy who has been in a fantastic run of waffle form and is probably due for a return to the Eagles side at some point, Josh Rotham, 23 disposals, six marks. He looks solid as a rock down in defence for the Beagles. So, look, there are a couple of key defenders to come in for the Eagles. So perhaps he's not on the immediate timeline, but something to watch down the track with Rotham. Now, Archie, 20 disposals and 10 tackles. And Hamish Brayshaw, 17 disposals and 11 tackles. So, Keys, is there a chance that we start seeing these guys getting towards that midfield rotation or perhaps cracking into a, into a Marston spot or a Hutchings spot? There's a couple of midfield spots that might be available. Are these the guys to fill it? Yeah, I think um, Josh Smith, if he can kick that up, I think Marston's spot's probably the one that is probably he's the one that's most vulnerable. So Smith's the most likely for him. Rotham, I think, you're just waiting for a for an injury for him to get a to get a chance, and then yeah, Archie doesn't seem to be particularly favoured by the match committee, and Brayshaw, I think, he's still developing, and I think I have heard that they're sort of trying to get him involved as a as a tagger, so yeah, maybe. Probably not just yet. I think he's still a little bit off, but maybe you know, longer term, that that might be something where he's uh, he's got a future as to get in the side. But yeah, at the moment, I think some of the guys are just going to have to bide their time. It's not ideal for them, but that's just the way. That's just footy. Just going through a couple of the other standouts for the Beagles. Uh, Kurt Mutimer, 25 disposals, jumps off the page at you. And uh, Braden Ainsworth, 18 touches. Tom Cole with 16. Having not seen footage myself, I can't comment on it, but I know he had a similar number of possessions the previous week and looks quite impressive. So fingers crossed that Cole is uh, doing all he can to keep pressure on the Eagles' back six. Jake Waterman, four goals. So another terrific waffle output from him, and I'm sure he'll find his way back into the side fairly shortly. And then the last guy we'll talk about, which might sort of transition us through into the injuries. Nathan Vardy. Now, he's only had nine disposals, and he, but he has kicked a goal. My understanding, Miguel, is that he left in the third quarter with a bit of a knee injury. So given where he is at in our Eagles squad and given the depth of tools that we have now in the Beagles squad, what are you expecting to see out of Vardy once he does come back from injury? Uh, apparently, he was lucky they thought he might have done his ACL. So um, the the injury report came out today and uh, it's, it's a two-week knee injury, not a 12-month knee injury, which is great news for him. Um, he's now really just depth, I think, um, now that Nat Nui's back, which is unfortunate for him. He's um, been a great servant for us in 2017 and 2018, but his, his form this year has been, been pretty poor and uh, yeah, he's, he's now sort of, yeah, back at waffle level and battling with the the Keegan Brooksby's and the Bailey Williams, who seems to have been given more ruck duties uh, of late, and um, he's obviously the future. Yeah, I was just going to, as you were talking, I was going to say Bailey, Bailey Williams is uh, very fast catching up to Vardy, and I don't know if it'll be all that long before perhaps he overtakes him. I, I, I didn't watch the game, but I sort of followed the stats a little bit, and Williams clearly started in the ruck ahead of um, Brooksby and Vardy. So they gave him the job as the number one ruck, which is quite interesting because Brock Higgins is a, he's a pretty good waffle ruckman. And I think, from memory, the last game against South Fremantle, he gave us a bit of a touch-up. So for them to decide to give Williams the crack at number one against him is a is a pretty good sign that they're confident in him. And I can't remember the stats, but I think he, he had 30-odd hit-outs and... You know, somewhere mid-turns disposals and might have even had a goal. So he's starting to build a, a pretty good little bank of form, Bailey. So I wouldn't surprise me at all if 
if a spot opened up in the back end of the season that uh, they throw him in just to see what he's capable of at, at AFL level. I think an ideal ruck combination to start next season with and getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, um, you know, Nat Nui and Williams starting next season you know, with Nat Nui taking... 65% of the ruck and Williams 35 would be ideal. I don't think, you know, Oscar Allen's been a pretty good servant in that role uh, this year, but you know, long term, that's really not his game. But yeah, Nat Nui and Williams would be a really dynamic pairing to start off with. Now, of course, it is the Derby this week, and that means it is the Waffle Derby as well. The Mighty Beagles will take on Peel Thunder this Saturday at 10 past 12 pm. David Gray's Arena. Unfortunately, this one's not at Optus, but fingers crossed that there'll be a club stream, which I think they've been doing by and large for all of the games that don't clash. So should be a good opportunity to take a quick look at the waffle this week. Now, moving along to injuries, as I said, and as Miguel touched on, there were fears that uh, an ACL was on the way for Nathan Vardy. He's been cleared of that. It's only a few-week injury. And uh, the, the injury report, again, looking in pretty solid state. So there's a couple of key guys we'll talk about. We'll get to them perhaps at the end. But just to race through a few of the other guys, the trio of Bynes, Venables and Edwards are all still TBC. Petricelli, who missed the game on the weekend, is listed as one week with a hamstring. And Jared Brander, who missed the waffle, one week with a calf. But now let's move on to the, the best 22, or certainly the high-powered guys on this injury list. First one is Tom Barras. He's listed as a test with a cork injury. Now, Keys, we will get to it in our changes, but I've seen some suggestions that we don't want to, quote-unquote, rush Barras in. If he's cleared to play, he comes straight in, correct? Yeah, I, I, I would have thought so, but some of the language I've heard coming out of the club, I did hear Simpson speak, I think it might have been in the post-game press conference, and I think he, um, he sort of talked about whether or not, because he's missed last week, uh, after a longish layoff, whether or not he's got the minutes in his legs to come back in or whether they bring him back through the waffle, get him another waffle game just to get some conditioning. So I'm not, I'm not too sure. He, Miguel and I watched them train today and Barras didn't really do much apart from walk around the oval and kick a couple of footies around. So there wasn't anything today to suggest he's you know, fully primed, raring to go. But, yeah, I think that... I think the club rating very, very highly, so it's only a matter of time before he comes in, and and I suspect he'll, whilst probably getting ahead of it, the changes a little bit, I suspect he'll probably come in, especially if uh, Fremantle are going to bring Lobby to the side. Uh, just rounding off the injury report, this is a stat of mine that, it's an unfortunate stat, but it's been a favourite of mine for the last few weeks. So prior to the Sydney game, the Eagles' consecutive games played streak looked like this. Hearn, 46. Yo, 44. Cole, 32. McGovern, 28. Hutchings, 24. So those were our top five guys, all of whom had at least played a season in a row without missing a game. Now, since that, keep in mind that was three games ago. Since that, Hearn and Yo obviously missed Sydney. Uh, Cole's been dropped. McGovern's been suspended. And now, Miguel, Mark Hutchings has done a hamstring Two to three weeks with the hamstring strain. You touched on it up the top in the Hawks review. He obviously sat out the second half as well, but looking for the first time, like we won't have Mark Hutchings at our disposal. Who's next on that list now? I don't know. I heard... We need need to... Um, needs to be in our thoughts and prayers, whoever he is. Well, somewhat ironically, I've been posting, you know, like, oh, let's put Tom Cole in a padded room this week, and then lo and behold, Tom Cole gets dropped. Or, you know, oh, well, Hutchings, let's put him in it, and then Hutchings gets hurt. So... Uh, I don't, I'm not too keen to find out, but I suspect that Shepard wouldn't be too far off that list. And given that he missed the grand final, I don't think anybody else has played every game this year. Or if it has, it wouldn't be too many. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a bummer on that front. But, but Miguel, yeah, look, Hutchings not in the arsenal. Uh, we've seen his role change from a tagger to perhaps that defensive winger. Now he seems to be somewhat of a tagging forward. So uh, there is a void there that needs to be filled. That is going to be a difficult spot to fill, uh, and the, there's not really any sort of like-for-like like that can come in um, that is immediately apparent off the top of my head, um, especially with Petrocelli out. Uh, the other thing we didn't touch on in injuries, but Cameron was on light duties uh, at training today, so you know, hopefully he's right to go, because um, he's you know, the, the way the forward line's going, he's sort of almost a lock now in the, in the side for the next little while. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Without really a like for like, um, it's a question of whether we 
try and shoehorn someone into that sport or we just go away from that and, and go back to one of the other structures we've used during the year, which would be maybe put a, a third taller forward in there and then you're looking at sort of Oscar Allen coming back up from defence, which is probably going to have to happen anyway. Uh, and um, if not that, then uh, maybe Waterman comes in. You know, he was pretty unlucky to lose his spot initially and he's you know, coming off the back of four goals. So I think one of those two probably comes in for Hutchings, which, yeah, and then... I don't know what you do about you know, Hutchings might have tagged a, a Nathan Wilson or someone like that um, this week. So whether we give that role to Cameron or Cripps or someone, I'm not sure. Well, it's all been building up to this throughout the pod. An impressive win against Hawthorne aside, the main story this week, and indeed most weeks similar to this, will always be the Derby. It is, in fact, Derby number 50. The Eagles currently riding an eight-straight victory streak against Fremantle. They're going for nine this week, which would equal the all-time record when the Eagles opened the Derby Series 9-0. Always a big game on the calendar. Both sides coming in in somewhat differing form. Fremantle, of course, on the back of a heartbreaking last-gasp loss to Carlton at home without Patrick Cripps, without a rotation on the bench as well. So terrific banter from Fremantle on the weekend. But Keys, they always give us their best. And Ross Lyon always knows how to make these games a little bit of a scrap. So come Saturday at 10 past 6 p.m., what are you expecting? Yeah, I think it's um, probably for the first time in, in quite a while, is probably since 2015, there's a fair bit riding on this one. It's a, you know, Fremantle haven't come to the second debut this year. Fremantle are going well out of finals contention, but they're right in the mix this year. So, yeah, I'm expecting a pretty, pretty fierce derby. I think, um, particularly on the back, Fremantle losing that game to Carlton on the weekend, they'll be. They'll be filthy that they dropped that game. And I don't think they'll be all that happy about the, the recent run of was it, eight, eight doobies in a row. I think they'll be wanting to um, address that slide. So I fully expect that we'll get a, a pretty fierce Fremantle side rolling out on Sunday afternoon. Now, Miguel, we've hinted at it all throughout, but Fremantle do have some potential ins, uh, some pretty big ones, no pun intended, as it were. Sandilands perhaps on his way back from all reports. Lobb was initially feared out for the season a few weeks ago, uh, but his long stint out has probably only turned into two or three weeks from memory. There's a chance he comes back. Even still, the sides will look quite different to when we played last. Now, there was no Fife in the last derby. He's playing. Lobb was integral to, to Fremantle on the day, and he's, you know, touch and go, as it were. So there's a couple of guys from, from Fremantle that might not be there, and, of course, Nick Natanui, the big game-changer from the last derby. So what are you expecting this weekend? Surely they can't play both Sandilands and Lobb. Bring, you know, bringing Sandy in off well, no, what, what's he probably played half a game of match sim at, um, at training or something. I'm sure they're worried about Natanui coming in, but, geez, that'd be a real sort of panic move, I think. Um, Lobb, uh, if he's fit, you probably bring him straight in. Darcy's been you know, struggling a bit with um, with his body, I think, just with the, the load he's had to carry over the last few weeks. So, yeah, but, yeah, Dockers will be coming out. Didn't help that they lost to Carlton in um, pretty unfortunate circumstances on the weekend, and I don't think that'll change their approach too much. Not they would have been. Unfortunate, must be just different line, mate. <laughs> yeah. But no. They, if they needed any other excuse to get themselves up for this game, that was it. But you know, they probably didn't need that excuse. Uh, they had this penciled in for a while, I think. Um, it's going to be a really uh, adversarial atmosphere, I think, with the Dockers getting the Dockers crowd getting the, their first crack at Gaff, their first real crack at Gaff since the Derby this time last year. And uh, yeah, they, they're going to come out. I've seen some mentions that they might just come out and start headhunting. I don't think they'll be that stupid because they've still got you know, finals to play for and their season's still alive. So I don't think they'll be doing anything particularly stupid, but yeah, uh, they're not going to be taking any backward steps. Yeah, they, they don't really seem to have quite the, the real bunch of hotheads in the side anymore than what they've had in other years as well. They're actually quite a, a youngish side, so they don't, you know, I suppose there's guys like Walters and stuff like that, but they're not, it's not like you've got the Carr brothers and Valentine. And, uh, well, he might be back in. Yeah, there's rumours circling that they might go to him. That would be, be nice for us if he does come back in because he's just a waste of oxygen, that guy, at the moment. Um, but, yeah, they don't, they don't seem to have the, the those sort of real narky players that they've had in the past. They, they don't seem to have quite as many of them out in the park. As, but, but, again, as Miguel said, I think it's going to be a pretty... Uh, a pretty rabid sort of atmosphere. Um, 
you know, for, I think for the Fremantle fans have probably been waiting 12 months for this, so it is going to be a, a, a real cauldron-type atmosphere and probably probably as, about, as fierce uh, an atmosphere as we will have faced for, for a long, long time, I think. Um, so it won't take too much to um, blow the fuse, I don't think, if uh, you know, someone does do something a little... A little silly. Um, it could it could erupt. So hopefully not. But uh, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting atmosphere. So look, the gaff story is obviously part of it. Unfortunately, that will always be intertwined, and especially as you guys have mentioned, as this is Frio's first crack uh, at the Eagles in a home derby since the incident. So let's take a look at the midfield. Judging off the last game, Gaff obviously led the way in the last derby with 35 disposals. Redden, 33. Yo had 30. Shuey had 24. So some good output from the mids. And, I mean, as Miguel touched on, Yo did perhaps have a down game. But the midfield is coming in on, on quite a quite a high, quite a wave of momentum. So, Miguel, what are you expecting out of that midfield unit? Is somebody going to be tagged? Who's going to be tagged? And basically, without Hutchings, how does that all look? It's a big decision for them. I haven't really been watching the Dockers enough to know whether they're tagging. Um, I know Bailey Banfield's back in the side uh, this or last week, so he would probably be the guy, I suppose, that they would send to someone. But it'd be a real decision for Ross whether he um, he goes to Shuey because of you know, the body of work that Shuey's put on just last week and the season as a whole, as we've talked about. Um, but also, we would have seen the decent job that um, Howe did on Yo uh, and the effect that had on him, and it you know, got them a bit of B stick of winning. So, yeah, it'd be a real decision for him. And it might be just um, based on the, the capabilities of the tagger if he does decide to tag. Um, and Badfield's not really a bigger body, so he might he might struggle against uh, sending to Shuey. Uh, we've seen in the past that Yo and Fife have sort of gone head-to-head. Um, Yo's done quite well in, in that matchup in the past from memory, I think. And uh, he's some of his best performances have been when he's just sort of gone head-to-head with the the bigger body on the other side, um, you know, Dangerfield and Bontempelli uh, and, and Cripps, Patrick Cripps as well as uh, as well as Fife. So that's something I'd definitely like to see. She had a, a quieter game, I think, so it'd be nice to see him step back up again after we, we sung his praises the week before. Yeah, but uh, looking forward to hopefully seeing the midfield get some silver service from Matt Nilly as well, and um, that'll help him win, win that battle. Now, Keys, the ruck battle, uh, it's obviously been a long time since Sandilands has played, over a year. Nat Nui, a little bit slow around the ground last week as well, so there's a chance that we could have two pretty important players coming in from both, or for both sides, but fairly underdone. Now, last time we played the Dockers, Lobb had 23 of their 24 hitouts. There's a chance he returns as well. But the Eagles won the hitouts 41 to 24. So that ruck battle could look very different to how it did last time. And what are you expecting there? Who did, sorry, just before you answer that, who did we have in the ruck that time? Was it Hickey and Vardy? It was, yep. Yeah, I think, I think the reason why Sandland's name's coming up a, a, a bit is, is Darcy, I think, was from reports was a little bit sore after that game against Carlton so there's maybe some doubt over his and that might be why Sanderlands has been considered so massive risk for them bringing Sanderlands in and I don't know that, certainly in the centre square I, I don't think Sanderlands against Nat Nui really helped because Nat is probably going to be able to jump over the top of him around the grounds, you know Sandy can, because he's so tall he, he can neutralise boundary throw-ins and ball-ups around the ground it's hard to see him offering too much in way of, I mean, we talk about Nat Nui not having much in the hands of the ball. I mean, Sandilands, once the ball hits the deck, he's, he's just he's a, he's a post. You know, he just doesn't influence the game at all. He doesn't. It's not like Nat Nui that can follow up and lay a tackle and things like that all that much. So I'd be really surprised if they play Sandilands. But, I mean, it's with, with Lobb coming back off a foot injury, they probably don't want to have him rucking by himself. Um, so they've got they've got some decisions around there depending on largely on the on the fitness or otherwise of Darcy. But I think it's certainly an area that we can um, exploit and I and I hope if Darcy does play that the uh, the umpires have watched some vision of the, the Carlton game and have noticed uh, Darcy's very, very obvious tactic of pushing Rushman 
spear in the back. I saw some snippets, and I think it was just a highlights package of about four or five late shoves in the back in boundary throw-ins that just didn't get penalised at all. So I'm hoping if he if he plays and he goes down that path, that the umpires are actually paying attention this week because they were free kicks every day of the week normally. Yeah, it got to the point where even I saw a few people on the Freo board saying that, A, they were very obvious and they'd be... You know, frustrated if they weren't being paid the other way, but also be with Nat Nui coming up. You know, he's a favourite son of the AFL because it's all a conspiracy over there uh, that he'll be raking in the free kicks. So perhaps that is something to watch. Look, let's get straight into the changes from here. Miguel, we'll start with you. Uh, there is a couple of voids that need to be filled that have been forced, and perhaps there's a couple of guys who are a little down on form that could use a spell as well. So for you, who comes in, who comes out for the derby? I touched already on um, what should be done with Hutchings, and I think the most obvious um, move there is that you know, McGovern comes back in, um, Oscar Allen shifts back into the forward line, and Hutchings goes out. Um, that's sort of it's the easiest move to make. I also toyed with the idea of having Jake Waterman in that role, but now I don't know if he, as warm as he's in, I don't know if he offers anything more than Allen will offer. It does make the forward line, either of those guys, I think makes the forward line a little bit tall, particularly if the weather's going to be wet, but there's not a lot of other options. You know, with Petrocelli out, Venables is out indefinitely, and um, the only other choice is to you know, chuck a midfielder in that role. I don't know, maybe you could make a case maybe for chucking Hamish Brayshaw in as a defensive forward if he's been tagging. I think that'd be um, pulling one out of thin air, really. Uh, Josh Smith, I suppose, has done it in his first game for us at AFL level. He played that sort of defensive forward role and did reasonably well, and he's been in good form, so maybe you can make that argument. Um, the brass one's interesting as well. Uh, I, I'm not really in favour of bringing him in off the back of you know three quarters in the waffle a couple of weeks ago and got injured um, because I think if you bring him in, you have to drop Schofield, and Schofield's form's been pretty good. And I don't know that, you know, as good as Brass is, I don't know if it's worth the risk bringing him in um, off limited preparation, particularly when we've got Nat Nui off limited preparation as well, both in the same side. So I'd be giving probably a big and unpopular move, but I'd be Brass a run in another run in the waffle um, first to, to prove his fitness. But I can see that move happening. Uh, Brass coming in, and if he comes in, I think Schofield has to come out because we can't play um, the three tools plus Shepard in that. Um, in that back line, particularly the Doctors don't have a really tall forward line um, with Hogan out. Otherwise, you know, Maston's the one whose name obviously comes up. He's probably, his position, I think, has been saved by Hutchings' injury, but, you know, Smith is putting pressure on him, as we've identified. Um, Matty Allen's another one who continues to hammer the door down for a debut. Um, we didn't mention him earlier because he was the travelling emergency, so he must be close. Um but yeah, I'd better bringing him in sort of adds anything that uh, that we don't already have. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't know. Cameron um, hopefully will get up and play. Liked what he's brought at AFL level so far, and yeah, this is a good opportunity to, to pump a few games into him. Uh, yeah, so my change would only my preferred change would only be uh, McGovern in, Allen to the forward line, and. Hutchings out injured, um, but I could also say they're making the, the Barras for Schofield move as well. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, the other one I'll say is perhaps Rotham is a chance to get a game, although given that they'd rather McGovern be free and given that Schofield's been or in all right form, I'd rather the Schofield on McCarthy match up and then let Gov just roam around rather than say Rotham on McCarthy. I uh, certainly don't want Gov going one-on-one with somebody as a lockdown defender. That's uh, just a waste of his talent. So, yeah, I agree with that. You'll send Allen to the forward line, bring Hutchings out, and put McGovern in. I could actually see him, yeah, only going with the one change. Barass I initially had in for Schofield, uh, but as Keyes, I think, mentioned, the, the mail out of the club seems to be getting a little bit more and more worried as the week goes on. So we'll cross our fingers on that one and wait and see what they do with Barass. So just the one change from me. Keyes, your thoughts? Yeah, I'll pretty much echo that. I think, um, yeah, so, I mean, the obvious, Govins are certain in, Hutchings are certain out, and it might just be that. That's the, the change. Brass, if he comes in, comes in for Schofield, I think. Um, I think if uh, Schofield, and, and Schofield's last few weeks have been pretty solid, so I think we've got the, 
the luxury, I suppose, of, of not having to rush grass in because Schofield's been performing. I think if, if Schofield was out of form, then I think the, the necessity to bring grass in would have been greater. But I think with Schofield holding his, his own, it doesn't seem to be a change that we have to make, but that's that's with the club. The only other one, I think, if you have a look at the, the guys who played against Hawthorne, the only one who I think would be worried about his spot based on his game would be Maston. I think he was the one that, you know, he, he missed a few games. He's come back. He's played the last two and hasn't set the world on fire by any stretch, whether he's... I mean, it's always really hard. I mean, it's an ongoing fate on the board as to, you know, he's fulfilling a role without knowing the specifics of the role from outside. We perhaps aren't aware of, of how well he's doing it. He can't have been doing it too well a month or so back because he did get dropped. From a pure outsider's point of view, you're looking at a guy who spends you know, a reasonable amount of game time on the wing and in the midfield and he's getting low teens and possessions, one or two tackles. You know, his, his stats don't portray a, a, a strong game. So you'd have to think that that maybe him and, and as Miguel said, you know, Smith is actually putting together some solid games and is a fairly light for light player. So they might pull the trigger on that. I don't see any other guys, as much as some of the guys had a good game against South Fremantle, I don't I don't see a, a spot there for for any of those guys. So, you know, you know may, maybe as a, an outside possibility, maybe Tom Cole, because he's, he's done the right thing in terms of going back to the Waffle by putting together two pretty solid performances from from what I've read. So he would maybe be a an outside chance to come in for for Maston and, and they maybe push Nelson up into the midfield maybe. I I don't know, but it's not gonna be uh, the widespread changes, I wouldn't have thought. So let's get into the predictions. Uh, obviously a massive game and one that we need to win, one that we'll want to win. And, and winning this really puts us in a great position to, to put that assault on the top two. Uh, Collingwood slipped up at the weekend. GWS slipped up at the weekend as well. So the Eagles could really cement things with a strong derby victory. Uh, for me, I'm a little concerned, perhaps not about the result, but just derbies are always a hard slog. Fremantle and indeed West Coast obviously circle it on the calendar. And I think Ross Lyon has a bit of a knack of trying to slow it down, really, really grind the game to a halt early and then just make it a one-quarter game almost, just try and pip us at the end. We saw it in our derby this year, and to some extent it was also the case in the derby, uh, Fremantle's home derby last year, I seem to recall as well, that thing where, you know, keep it close and then try and just grab it at the end. So I'm going to say that the Eagles are going to win, but only narrowly. They'll win by 17 points. And because I am a fan of theatre and spectacle, I will say Andrew Gaff is going to win the Glendening Allen medal, and he's going to walk up (laughs) on that podium in front of... Well, it's a Freo crowd, so in front of 36,000 people and receive the booing of a lifetime. Miguel, your thoughts on the result and who will be the best on ground? I like that. It's going to be tough to beat that. Uh, I think um, we will win. That'll be nine straight. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it is going to be a slog. Um, Freo have had a habit of um, just sort of grinding games out and you know, sort of reducing them to a slog and then trying to score on the counter. Um, so it's probably not going to be pretty, uh, particularly if it rains, uh, but um, doesn't really make for pretty football. Um, but, yeah, I think we will we should be too good. You know, Frio have lost their last two games, to, albeit narrowly, to teams that are in the bottom four. So uh, we should really have enough for them. So I'll pick us to win by, yeah, it's not going to be high scoring, I'll say 11 points. And uh, if it can't be Gaff, I think our um, our best player will be Hearns racking up Glendinning medal after Glendinning medal. Um, I'd like to see him get another one. And, um, yeah, he's, he's putting together a great um, run of form this year and he should be All-Australian captain and will add a, a second Glendinning medal to the um, for the year to that. Three out of the last four Glendinning medals have been for Shannon Hearn. And uh, I believe Hutto even mentioned on the weekend during the Hawthorne call that, yes, he should almost be a lock for All-Australian captain. So the media outreach and the media acknowledgement starting to come as well for Bunga. 
Keys, your thoughts on the result this weekend and which eagle is going to impress us the most? I think it's it's going to be a very physical game. I think it'll be a, a real slog. I think you'll probably see a, uh, a winning score around 60, 70 points. I don't think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be a real grind. Um, I think we, we've we probably got a better spread of talent across the park. Um, so provided we can keep Walters, Brad Hill and Fife under at least at least two of those guys under, you know, reasonably quiet, or at least curtail the influence, I think we'll have, a, we'll have enough ascendancy to win the game by, by about 10 points. Uh, I think we've got a I think our forward line probably, with enough ball, we'll we'll be able to get enough. We'll be able to kick a winning score if we get an even amount of supply. Um, and Glendening Medal, I think if we win, it'll be because Yo gets the better of Fife in that battle. I think Simpson seems to like getting Yo to play on Fife, as you you know guys have mentioned. So. If Yo gets on top of that battle, that'll go a long way to us winning. And if he does do that, well, then I think he'll be a, um, a, a BOG. So, yeah, Eagles by 10 and Yo for the medal. Well, that is all the time we have this week. It's going to be a massive week. It always is. But this one in particular, uh, fingers crossed that the Eagles get a fantastic result in the Derby. I know we've all predicted a bit of a grind, but... An absolute battering of Fremantle would not go amiss either. Keys, as always, fantastic to have you on the pod to talk all things Eagles. Cheers, mate. And Miguel, to yourself, once again, thanks very much for coming on the pod. No problem. Uh, Yeah, all the best for the Derby week. That's right. All the best for the Derby week. Hopefully the Eagles can start breaking out the record book with the ninth straight. And as I mentioned, just a really important win in the context of the season. So fingers crossed for the weekend. Uh, We'll see you around on the boards. Thanks very much for listening. If you've got any questions, feel free to send them through to anybody on the pod or chuck them in the thread. But other than that, fingers crossed for the Eagles, and we will see you next time. Bye now. Bye. Bye. It was the same old story. Luke Shuey on the road just pulling us off. No, I'm going to say that better. Let's do it again. (laughs)